It's an exciting week for us here. Am I on? All right. So we have a uh, our week of prayer and fasting this week. And if you look in your bulletin, you'll see the fact that we have information. Uh, I'm going to be preaching on this today out of, uh, similar to this, this is a guide, I won't use the exact words that are in here, but uh, this is a guide of how to pray, and I wanted to get that into your hands because as I'm going to preach on today, we tell people pray, and we don't tell them how to do it. And we just kind of say, well, you all know how to pray, right? It'll all work, it'll all work. No, we need to learn how to pray. And the other thing I'm introducing this year is I, I really felt a call that we should fast and pray. And really seek God for what he has for us this year in the church, in our own lives. And so you will see uh, something else on um, types of fasts that you can do. Make sure you look at that and uh, read the verse at the top. It says, and when you fast, uh, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. In other words, um, you know, when you fast, it's something that you should be doing. And that you shouldn't be the person who says, I'm fasting. Please, everybody, look at me. Okay, so that's basically what it's trying to say, uh, but it tells us different ways to fast, and uh, there's also more information on the internet that we put on the webpage about uh, guidelines for fasting, and there's all different kinds, uh, depends what's going on in your life, uh, if this is your first time trying this, and so I'm going to be fasting this week, uh, our staff is going to be, and I just want to encourage everyone to try this, and also we'll be having prayer meetings uh, Monday or tonight, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Uh, Wednesday night we'll have our regularly uh, scheduled uh, programming, I guess, and uh, we will have uh, times of prayer and times of teaching on prayer on those nights. So I just wanted to make you aware of those things and uh, what's going on in the week of prayer. It's a very exciting week as we gather together to seek after God. Have you ever had a goal or a project that you've been given? And you don't know what you're doing? Okay. Have you ever had something that maybe you've done and then you realize that you were completely wrong when you did it because you didn't know what you were doing? I think about the project fertilizing my lawn. I decided to be a lawn expert on my lawn. And I was told because I had pine trees that you need to put lime down because it's acidic from the pine trees. You put lime down, it'll lower the pH. Lower the pH, right? Okay. Uh, so I lower the pH, and that would get it in order. So then I, I tested my lawn. I sent it to the University of Minnesota. They sent me a note back, and they said, your lawn needs more acid in it. What did you do to it, basically? What, I mean, why on earth? It's so low. It needs, somebody needs to dump acid on my lawn. And I thought, well, I was doing it right. I thought I knew what I was doing. But I wasn't relying on experts. I was relying on some things, that, you know, just some ideas. I thought about this idea for a, you know, a Christmas present for a, let's say you got a five-year-old kid, and you say, there's a really cool bionicle meltdown guy right here you can build. All right, here you go. Have a good time. I'll come back in a half hour and uh, see how you're doing. And that five-year-old kid would be, uh... First of all, I can't guarantee I put the right parts in there, all right? But you know what you do when you look in the Bionicle thing? If you go further in, it tells you how to build it. But you have to have the instructions. Otherwise, you have basically a mess 
and also danger to anybody walking over here because these things are just crazy. But on their own, you just can't expect somebody to say, well, you can build this beautiful robot here. It's really simple. Just figure it out. You're five. Come on. Well, if you look at the instructions, it tells you how to do it. It tells you, and when you're done, you have the cool robot. You have to know that you have the way to do this. And so, um, yeah, I'll clean that up later. But, you know, if you, somebody tells you you need to eat better, you go to the grocery store and just wing it. Because everybody knows how to eat better, right? We in America, we are perfect at knowing how to eat better. It just comes naturally to us. No, it doesn't. How about you're going to exercise more? You ever go to a gym? And look at all the stuff they have there. Most of it looks like medieval torture devices. I am convinced of that. Um, they show you this stuff. It's like, yeah. And you look at it and you say, well, where do I start? What do I do? How do I? I mean, I've got these parts here lying around. Where do I start? I've got this plan to maybe get in shape this year. Where do I start? I've got this plan for, um, you know, eating well. I go to the grocery store. Everything looks good. And most of the stuff that looks good, from what I can tell, is the stuff that got me in trouble in the first place. So how do I change? How do I accomplish the things that I want to do? If you've never done something or done something poorly, it's tough to find the right path to do what is right. And we know, uh, if you look at Matthew 6, 7 today, we're going to look at Matthew 6, starting with verse 7, and I'll just read it right now. It says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So basically what he's starting to say is, when you pray, and if you look at the section on fasting that I handed out, the, the handout, it says, and when you fast. What does this assume? You're going to do it. It's like saying, and when you go to the store, and when you eat today, and when you breathe. I mean, there are things that, we're going to, that we should do, or going to do, or part of the normal process that we should be doing. And he is trying to say out, he's trying to say there's a pattern to doing this. There's a way to pray that is effective. There's a way to pray that I'm going to lay out for you. In the book of Luke, it's the disciples that are asking Jesus, teach us to pray. They saw what Jesus was doing, and they wanted to learn it. And the first thing that he says here, he says, if you look at verse 7, he says, Do not heap up many empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And the first thing he's trying to say here is, don't just throw things up in the air and think that you can um, work God, he's really trying to say. In other words, if I pray the certain prayer six times facing the right direction and holding up my foot up in one way and my left arm up like this, God has to do it. And you know what? We've, we've made prayer that way. 
That is a pagan principle that comes even into Christian things. If you pray the right way, if you do things a certain way, if you do enough repetition, if you say the name of Jesus five times, something will happen. No, he is saying do not heap up empty phrases because you know what? God knows what you need before you ask him. So why don't you go to him in the proper way? And he is trying to say in this prayer, many of you have repeated the Lord's Prayer before. There's nothing wrong with re repeating the Lord's Prayer. But what he is trying to say then is look at verse 9, and this is where the focus we're going to be on. He says, pray then like this. Pray then like this. Use this as your pattern to pray. Many of us here would like to pray more. We, it might be something we say we want to pray more. Uh, it's kind of like eating better or uh, exercising more or, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to spend more time reading and less time watching TV. Or all, I mean, there's all kinds of things we're going to do this new year. But what do we need is someone to teach us how to do it. Pray then like this. Understand that this is a guide for us to pray. It is something that Jesus set up for a pattern for us. And I think so many times, I don't know, I think it's been the last five to ten years where I've discovered that this is the pattern for us to pray. I think before this, I was, I was you know, just trying to wing it. And not that God doesn't up in heaven going, I'm still going to listen to you. God's not up in heaven going, you didn't do it right, John. You know, you blew it, so we're not going to listen to you. But God's saying, I gave you a pattern. Why don't you use that? Jesus gave us this pattern, and we need to use it as a way to do this. So let's look at this. Let's start with the whole concept of how we should pray using the Lord's Prayer. Now, the first thing that the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father in heaven. And this indicates reverence. This is how we should start out in prayer. We should start out by identifying who, who God is and who we're praying to. What about God is special? What about God is that? We do not start with our needs like most prayers. We don't start out with, here's what I want, God. We start out with, here's who you are, God. See the difference? We don't come to him and say, we need this, we need this, we need this. There is a section for this. But we start out saying, you are God, you are in heaven. We start with him. The intimate word here for Abba, the word here is for father, is indicating you are my father. You are my beloved father who loves me very much and who wants to do good things for me. I am coming to you as my own father. There are things that fathers on earth, and, and I know when you describe this, many times in our society today it's difficult because some people don't have this father relationship. But a father, the good father that is Christ, Let's us under, or God, and God the Father, lets us understand that we can come to him and he loves us and will give us good things. We have been adopted into the family of God. Do you realize in John 1, 12, it says that we are called sons and daughters of God. And when we are sons and daughters of God, we can come to him. We can ask God for things that we don't ask. My kids are able to ask me things that they can't ask other people. They don't randomly go up to people and ask them that. At least I hope they don't. Um, but, you know, you can ask your father. There's things you can come to. Uh, and it's a plural form. He says, our father. Understand the fact that we're in this together with other brothers and sisters in Christ. We come to Christ. And we are loved as children of God. It's another focus on this. We are loved children of God. Our father. Our father who loves us. And we need to come to him. 
And Matthew 7, 11 says, God is accessible. It says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? When we realize who God is, we come to him knowing that he wants to do good things in our life. We come to him knowing that he has something special for us. The next, next phrase says, in heaven. Our Father, not only our Father, but our Father who is in heaven. And we, remember, some of us don't have this great image of our own Father here. Maybe your Father was abusive. Maybe your Father wasn't there. But our Father is in heaven. Heaven means perfection. Heaven means that He has a view of everything. Heaven means that He understands what's going on. Most of us, I've told that many people this before, I missed the time when I was 18 and I knew everything and everybody older than me knew nothing. I missed that. That sense of understanding that I knew it all. I didn't. Okay? But here, how many times do we go to God? Even worse, go to God thinking that we know it all. Okay, God, here's, God, here's how it has to be. No, you go to God who is in heaven. Who is greater, who is the one who created everything. You go to a God that can see the beginning from the end. Who can see what you actually need, not what you want. And he can say... I've got it under control. And when you've grasped the fact that you're praying to a God that is over everything, that you don't drive out of his zone wherever you go. If you're going into a dangerous place, God is there. If you're going wherever you are, God is with you. Heaven is not far away. God is on, J.F. Packer says, God is on a different plane, but not in a different place. I like that term. And Isaiah 57, 15 puts it this way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. And that's sometimes we think of God in heaven like that. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. In other words, I exist, God says, in the heavens. I am over everything, but I also exist with you where you are. I am in heaven over all everything, over creation. And the greatness of God from this should humble us as we pray. The first thing, you see how that just humbles us? Who are you praying to? The God who is over everything. Next part is hallowed be your name. And this should be our aspect of worship to God. We ask the name of the God, we name of God to be honored. And in the time that this was written, the name means God, who God is, his character, his actions, and standing as he is revealed to us. We say, who you are, God, your name. Have you ever heard the term, that person has a good name? And that, that, a good name in the town, which means they, they follow through on what they have, they follow through on a project, they're honest. The petition then asks God, that, asks that we praise God, but also that God's name be praised throughout the world. We are asking for praise not only from us, but from praise from everyone. We are asking that God, that people are able to are, are come to him and start to praise him for who, that he is, who he is. How can we make this request mean something? And it comes to this. Um, we need to focus to be on God and the promotion of his name and not our own. In other words, we need to look at this and say, 
God, how can I make your name in this world great? Because people know me as a follower of God. And in my life, God, look inside of me, find out in me, and help me praise your name, not just by, by coming to church and being loud and praising God. As Pentecostals, sometimes people say, here's how we praise God. We praise God when Pastor Jordan gets the music going, and all of a sudden we praise God, and then the praise stops. That is praise, but the praise continues when we live our lives for God and lift his name up and make it holy in this earth. We lift him up by our actions. We lift him up by following him. We need to see the things of God as good. We need to praise him for his creation. We need to look at how good things of God are and praise him for his saving grace for the lost. We need to look around and say, God, you saved a wretch like me, like the, the song says, and you can save everybody in this. I praise you for the fact that you will save and seek the lost. One of the things that I was really touched upon when I was doing my graduate studies is this concept that God is constantly at work in our town. God is constantly working to seek and save the lost. Do you realize that he never stopped doing that? And our job is to join him in what he is doing. And understand that he cares about people. He cares about your neighbor. He cares about your children. He cares about the people you work with. And let his name be hollow and holy in that place. Worship him for working all things for our good. And the spirit which hollows God, God's name is the fear of the Lord. It's understanding that he is higher than all. And looking at Psalm 15, 1, it says, to Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. It's basically saying, God be the glory. To God be the glory for what he has done in my life, for what he has done in my neighbor's life, for what he has done to make things good in our world despite the sin. For every good thing that happens in this world comes from God. If God's spirit wasn't in this world right now, the world would be a mess. You say the world already is a mess. It is. It would be horrible without him. God is restraining evil. God is holding things back. God is making things good through his spirit. And we are saying, thank you, God. And Lord, let your name be higher in this world. Part three, when we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is where we emphasize on the reign of Christ. Now, we don't talk a lot about kingdoms anymore. We don't talk about, we're going to have this great kingdom. Maybe when you go to Disney World, you get the magic kingdom. Okay? Or we, you know, on some uh, Lord of the Rings, or we talk about, you know, the kingdoms of things like that. But we don't talk about this. This is a term that was understood in this time. God is in charge of creation and the king of everything as a fact. But God's kingdom is an act of redemption, which, bring, which means bringing people into relationship with himself through the work of Jesus Christ. The kingdom exists wherever Jesus is the Lord or master of someone else. So when we are asking for God's kingdom to be manifested in ruling of creation, God's plan is to change people's lives and to make a difference. We are praying for God to move in our world. We are praying for God to change our hearts, to make his kingdom come in our hearts, 
and his kingdom come throughout the world. You know what the problem is with the world? Is the kingdom is not coming in people's lives. The, the kingdom is being rejected by people. We have a partial government shutdown right now. Do you know what? If the kingdom of God entered um, Congress and the president, they would work this out. You say, well, that's just too simplified. No, it isn't that simplified. Because when you listen to these people, I hate to say this is getting a little political, but I'm not going to pick on either side. They sound kind of like children sometimes. Okay, am I, am I wrong on this? We're not going to give you this. We're, we're not going to give you that. And we're going to hold over here. And we're gonna, uh, that's not very kingdom-like. That's not very God-like. That's not very Jesus-like that you're acting like here, people. Can't you play nice? Okay, can't you share the blocks? Okay, I'm picking on our politicians. Yes, that's why we pray for our politicians, all right? They need our prayers. But the kingdom of God, we ask God, we as Christians pray for the kingdom of God first to come to our life, which means the kingdom of God comes into our life. He overcomes our own personal kingdom. And you know what? We don't like to give up our own personal kingdom. This is a prayer to say, God, I want to give up my kingdom and I want your kingdom to take over mine. I want your, you to be the king of my life. I want you to rule and reign in my life. I don't want to run things on my own, God. Let me stop running my life and let you take over your kingdom come in my life. There is also the kingdom to come well, in the future, but we have this. Any request for a new display of God's sovereignty and grace. J.I. Packer puts it this way, renewing the church, converting sinners, restraining evil, providing good in the world, is further spelling out your kingdom come. In other words, God, we bring your kingdom. I want to see my brother saved. God, bring your kingdom. I want to see our church renewed and on fire for God. Your kingdom come. God, restrain evil in this world. God, we see evil taking over this world. We see a drug epidemic. We see all these things happening. God, restrain evil. Your kingdom come. God, provide good in this world. Bring good things to the people that are looking out. God, bring your kingdom. All of these prayers are bringing the kingdom of God and praying God to do it. And if God asks us to do it, it means that he wants to do it. Challenge to us, make me a kingdom person. Make me a person who obeys a loving king. Show me my place in the kingdom, Lord. And what I have in expanding in my own life and the lives of others. Make myself decrease and you increase. Start with me, God, and make me part of the solution. And then the next thing it says, your will be done. So your kingdom come, your will be done, and it says on earth as it is in heaven. And when we are saying your will be done, denying myself and allowing God's will to happen. Do you know that God's will for your life is different than the world's will for your life? I say this every week. I feel like I repeat myself because the Bible repeats itself on this. The world is going this direction. God is going this direction. And it's getting, it's, it really seems like that constantly. The world tells you this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. And God is saying, no, I love you and care for you. Go this direction. Your will be done. Find we need to be done can interpret, be interpreted happen. Be ready to accept what God's will and makes happen. His will is perfect. In other words, God let me be okay and let me be in line with your will for my life. Let me pray your will be done in this world, your kingdom to come, 
and let it happen in my life. This is going to require a struggle. I'm just going to be honest with you. The reason we pray for your will to be done is because we need to pray this prayer constantly because our will wants to take over. Our sinful attitudes want to take over. Our sinful attitudes want to say, I can do whatever I want. If I want to badmouth that person behind their back, they deserve it. If I want to gossip, if I want to lie, if I want to do all these things, I deserve it. And, I, and this is the attitude of God is saying, but I have a perfect will for you. I have a good will for you. I have something that is better for you. And I have something that's going to give you the life that you're intended to have. And why does he end it with on earth as it is in heaven? We need to understand in heaven, God's will is perfect. In heaven, God's kingdom is perfect. But it's saying we are in preparation and training right here. Someday we are going to be in heaven where God's will is going to be perfect. We are going to be in heaven where God's kingdom is going to be perfect. But we need to understand that that is the goal why we are here. And God wants us to set that as a goal. We should set very high goals and try to draw near to them. I've heard people say, I'm not perfect. And I've heard that in a good way and I've heard it in a bad way. I've heard people say, I'm not perfect. I'm not even going to try. Have you ever done that? Well, I'm just no good and I don't care. I'm just no good. I'm just not even going to try. You know, I'm just, I'm, or I'm not perfect, but God, make me better today than I was yesterday. Make me better tomorrow. Make me closer to heaven than I was yesterday. Make me closer to the perfection of heaven. Because the Bible says to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that attitude of saying, God, make me better. Understand, though, it is God who is going to make us better. It is not our own perfection. It is God's perfection in us. No relationship is perfect like it is in heaven. But heaven, it, but that is the goal that we should have. Look at how the angels respond to God in heaven. They follow him without question. They are instruments of God's will. That's what we should want here on earth. Part four. We finally get to the part where we think this is where most prayers start. We finally get to the part where we ask for something. You notice the first three is all about God. It's all about focusing on him. Because I think there's two reasons for this. The first three focus on God for one reason, to lower ourselves and to humble ourselves. But secondly, when we start to ask for things, the God that I just described to you, does he seem like a God who can handle any need in your life? You ever prayed and said, I don't think God can really handle this? Well, you wouldn't honestly say it. I don't think a lot of people say that. It's not a good Christian thing to say, I'm going to pray and I don't think God can do any of this. It's not a real good doctrine. I wouldn't probably want to go to that church. But I think a lot of us do. We think we'll pray because we're supposed to. We check off the box that says we pray. God gives us a few merit points. And hopefully we get to go to heaven someday. Okay? But what he is saying here, we finally get to this thing. Give us this daily bread. And this is our provision that we're looking out for. We are to start our prayers with praise to God. And then we are to focus on petitions to God. Don't forget that in God's economy, prayer is vital. God is capable of providing all of our needs and the needs of everyone without praying. Remember that verse we read at the very beginning? God knows exactly what you need before you ask. And you say to yourself, then why doesn't he just do it? 
This is a question that has been asked, and it's this question that atheists like to bring up, or people that are going after the Christian faith. Why do you pray for people who are sick? Can't God just take care of everything? Why do you have to pray for your next meal? Why does, can't God just provide it? And the answer is yes. But in God's economy, he says that when we pray, things happen. And when we don't pray, things don't happen. That is the way God set it up. He set it up. There's a lot of different arguments for this and understanding. But basically, he's saying he wants us to ask and he wants us to receive. He wants to give. He wants that relationship with us back and forth. And so right here, bread in this society is foundational to the ancient society. Bread, the breaking of bread signified eating. Everything is about bread. If you said bread, you meant food as a whole at this time. All of life's necessities. This is a prayer against poverty. This is a prayer against earthly unemployment. This is a prayer for God provide our needs. God provide for us where we are. It is okay to come to God and say, God, look at these bills. I don't know what to do. I pray for my daily bread every day from God. Give us. This request flies in the face of self-reliance. Because what is it self-reliance says? Earn it yourself. You have to do it all yourself. I will take the strength of my own hands, my own self-made talents. And one of my favorite verses always flies in the face. And every time I start to feel a little bit too good about myself, this verse comes back to my head. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You know what, God? I don't need you. I mean, you made me so good looking, and, and uh, you can laugh at that. But, you know, you made me, I've got all these talents. You know, there are certain people, I was talking to somebody, we just went and visited um, Erica's parents, and uh, we were in, in Phoenix. And we were sitting there, and there was a widower, we were in the hot tub, you know, roughing it, and, and he was sitting there with us. And it was William, myself, and Erica. And he's a widower, and you can tell that he hasn't, I mean, he just needed to talk. And so we sat there for an hour and listened, just constantly one after another. But this guy, I swear, could make money out of nothing. He told me these money-making schemes that he had done, and how he had turned this into that, and he turned this, and now he's got this house here. He's got all these skills. And, and he said he was a believer. But what I want to say is there are people like that. I mean, he was saying, he, I took these junk parts, bought them for $30,000, turned them into $400,000. And he was, I mean, he really, and he said, I got four, four, uh, four wheelers. We were trying to tell him, hey, you could let us use them. But he never did that. <laughs> but, but he was telling all these stories. And I thought to myself, that is a gift that you have. Do you understand how, how much of a gift that you can see those things? And I know people like that. I know people that can make money. I know people that have those great relationship skills. I know people that have natural leadership skills. But verse 18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as to this day. In other words, who gave you that talent? Who gave you those abilities? There are people here that can look at an engine and make sense of it. There are people here that know how to do logging. There are people here who know how to do banking. There are people here who can sell anything to anyone. They just have that gift. 
There are people here that can comfort people. They have nursing skills. They have doctor skills. I mean, every skill, teaching skill, that they can sit in a group of middle schoolers and enjoy it. Okay, Pastor Jordan has that. And he, most of us say to ourselves, okay, Pastor Jordan, we're glad you're here. You know, but that is something. We understand that that is a gift. And so pray to God to provide for us our needs and give us wisdom to know our part in the, our work and job. Understand the fact that God gives us talents, but he also tells us to do something with it. Do you realize that even before the fall that we were supposed to work and have a job? That God had a job for Adam in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't like he was just sitting around. Everybody thinks in the Garden of Eden, he's just sitting around plucking, you know, eating, looking around. No, God had him things that he was supposed to do. Work is good. And God has a plan for you. But our plan is, God, tell me what is my part and tell me also to be thankful for everything that I have. If I receive a job today and if I get to get up this morning and go to a job, let me be thankful for the fact that I had the energy to get up. You made the opportunity for me to get a job. You gave me the, uh, the talents to do it. God, all of these things. And if I need more in my life, if I need this, God, first of all, help me understand if I'm spending too much money and wasting money. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. Uh, that, that could give us this day our daily bread, what we actually need. And God, help me to be the person I'm supposed to be. If you pray this, it says about this day our daily. If you pray this in the morning, you are saying, oh God, that you may give us today the material things that we need for today. If you pray the prayer at night, we are praying to God, oh give me, oh God, you give me tomorrow the things that we need for tomorrow. Give us what we need God, make it possible. Give us the opportunities and let us know the wisdom to take and go forward on that. The next thing, and for, part five says, and forgive us our debt as we also have forgiven our debtors. There's an aspect of forgiveness. Every day we need to be doing this. Christians sin. I know this may be a shocker to everybody, but Christians still struggle with sin. We still struggle. Why? Because the Bible says when you sin, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, you know, come to God and faithful and when you confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It wouldn't say that if we didn't have need of it. And because of this, we need to daily talk, take stock of our sin when our prayers. What separates us from God? Realize this, though. We do not lose our salvation when we sin. But we start separating ourselves from God. We start separating ourselves from his presence. We go even further and go beyond our sins and look to put to death the deeds of our body. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In other words, say, God, what in my life am I holding on to, the deeds of this body? What am I doing? Search me, O God. In fact, that's the next thing we ask for. In Psalm 139, 23 to 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. God, clean me out. Let me know. When I was going through my weight loss program, I had to meet with a coach every week, and they would challenge me and say, you know, all those uh, Whoppers that you're eating, those are bad for you. You're not going to do very well in that. I don't want to hear that. I want to eat the Whoppers. 
okay? I like doing all that stuff. I like eating this. I like doing this. But you need someone to tell you, no, that's not the way for your life. And God, if there's anything else that's in my life, you meet with God, you say, God, look at me. Forgive me of what I have done. Forgive me what I have in my life that is stopping me from being in your presence. Forgive me. And it also says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So there's a two-part to this. We are supposed to say, God, whatever I've done. Now, sometimes the things are going to come right to our head. I have sinned, God. God, forgive me for my sin. And other things are going to be, forgive us our other things we're going to have to search for. But we also must forgive others, and they're intertwined. God's not unwilling to forgive us, but instead is showing us that we are incapable of receiving this forgiveness. We must imitate what God has done in our life. What has God done in our lives? He has forgiven us. What are we supposed to do in other, for other people? Forgive them. That's hard. Really hard. In fact, at this time period, they had a system worked out. And I think I would have liked this system in a kind of a bad way. The rabbis had a system worked out for how many times you had to forgive somebody. It was you forgave the person three times, and the fourth time, you didn't have to forgive them anymore. They had worked it out. So then Peter, oh, Peter, love Peter in the Bible. Everything Peter does is for my benefit. I'm convinced of it. He talks without thinking, says weird things, and, and you know, gets chastised. It's like, yeah, I, I do that. And so Peter comes up to Jesus, and he says, you know what? I've got this figured out. I'm going to forgive people seven times. Yeah. Yeah. I get to see him doing that. I, I'm adding the little part. It's in Matthew 18. You can look it up. But he's saying, I'm going to forgive him seven times. Seven is the number of completion, creation. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and you know what Jesus says to him? How about 70 times seven? And Peter's sitting to himself, oh man, what did I get myself into? The word 70 times 7 in Hebrew understanding is endless. Forgive others. And then he shows us, tells a story, and I'm not going to go into it, but he tells a story about letting us understand that God has forgiven us, and because God has forgiven us, then we must forgive others. And when we pray, and if there's someone that we have not forgiven, we need to forgive them at that point. Now what I need to under, help you understand, I've talked to many people about this, Forgiving somebody is not saying what they did is okay. It is not saying you did it right. You were, you were fine. Okay, what you did was great. You stole my car. Great. Do it again. Loved it. Okay? It's not saying that. In fact, locking your car when that person is around is a good idea. It, it's, it's okay. But what it is saying is, I do not hold this debt against you. I do not hold this against you. Jesus forgave the people that were crucifying him on the cross. Was it right that they, that they were nailing him to the cross? No. Did he forgive them? Yes. We are supposed to forgive people that do horrible things. Stephen is forgiving people as he's being stoned to death. I mean, people, you're supposed to forgive things that are unforgivable. 
but you don't say that they are right. You still take precautions to stay away from somebody who lies to you all the time. Don't tell them secrets. Forgive them. Don't tell them secrets anymore. Okay, that's okay. But forgive them every time if they hurt you. And I think that this is so important. And when we do this, it says in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Every time you feel unforgiveness rising in your heart, look around and say, yeah, God forgave me. And I do things really bad. Yeah, you ever do a sin over and over again and have to ask God to forgive you over and over again? Anybody? And I'm not going to ask you to raise hands. But I think a few of us may have broken that seven barrier. Okay? Or definitely broken the three barrier. What if, Jesus, what if God held on to that three barrier? After three sins, you're out. Kind of like a strike three and you're out thing. Man, we'd be in trouble. But it says, Lord, forgive me as I forgive others. Part three, the end. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Protection. J.I. Packer puts it this way. He wrote an excellent book on this. He says, life is a spiritual minefield. Amid such dangers, we dare not trust ourselves. Father, keep us safe. Father, keep us safe. The book in this, Jesus talks about the fact that the testing or the temptations here. There, Luke 22, Jesus said, pray that you may not enter temptation. It's okay to pray to not enter temptation. There will be enough temptation in this life without you going into ones you don't belong being in. Okay? Don't go into something and say, well, I can handle this. Those are famous last words. God, lead me in the direction where I, there's just going to be a natural temptation in this world. It's here. But God, take me away from the areas that I don't need to be in. Christians already receive testing through their opposition to their faith. Jesus is telling us to ask God for the favor of being excused from further testing. In this way, we recognize that, that the lack, our lack, and what might pass as heroic faith, and our need for divine care. This is according to Green. He says the fact that we need God to make it through this life and not succumb to temptation. We cannot do it on our own. If you, every time it's time to go to the gym, I don't want to go. Last week, the guys that are at the gym with me were here, and I told them, you guys can stare at me every week because I see them at the gym. And you guys keep me accountable. There are times when I don't want to do what I need to do. I don't want to, uh, I wake up in the morning, and I just don't, don't always pop up and say, yay, everything's great, I get to do this. I don't want to always study. I don't want to always have to work. I don't want to always have to do these things. Lead me not into temptation, God. Put me on the right path. God does not tempt us. We shouldn't say that God is tempting us. But best, through, best seen through this, probably best seen is don't let us succumb to temptation. Because in Mark 14, 38, it says, Watch and pray that you do not enter temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. We give in to sexual temptation. Why? Because our flesh is weak. We were just talking about this in our Wednesday night group. We were talking about um, 
you know, sexual sin and things like that. Our flesh is weak. When people talk about it today, it's like, well, this is just the way that I am. Our flesh wants to do things that we're not supposed to do. Our flesh tells us to lie, cheat, steal, have sex with whoever we want. That's what our flesh tells us. It's weak, but the spirit is willing. Lord, strengthen the spirit and weaken the flesh in my life. Weaken those temptations in my life. But when we give in, we only have ourselves to blame. Because it says in James 1.14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Lord, help me. I have desires in me that are not right. Lead me away from those things. Change my heart. And also we need to understand this, that there is something out to get us. It's not paranoid when somebody is actually out to get you. Have you ever heard that term before? You're not paranoid. It says, but deliver us from evil. And actually, we think this word is the evil one or Satan. Satan is trying to destroy you. The world is trying to destroy you. His agents are trying to get you. They did not want you to be here today. They don't want you to pray and fast. They don't want you to follow God's will. They don't want you to pray to him. They don't want these things in their life. They want you to fall into temptation. Once you understand that, that we're at war, you can say, God, work through me. Work through me. I can't do this on my own, but I need your help to get this done. It's a positive plea. It's, instead of being negative, it says, um, deliver us from evil or the evil one. We makes it clear that the first phrase does not refer to testing, but it is an evil act that is happening. 1 Peter 5, 8 puts it this way, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That is not a nice, well, the devil made me do it. Oh, that's so cute. Seeking to devour. Roars around. Okay, one of my favorite things, and I'm, I gotta stop soon here, but one of my favorite things about um, when I was in at Disney World, I was in the, uh, the Animal Kingdom part, and they had some, I think it was tigers, and I said, do you ever feed the tigers or just put something in there for them to chase down and rip apart? Because I would assume they would enjoy that. I said, I've seen nature channels. That's what they do. They, I mean, you watch nature. It is brutal. Okay, we've seen it. up. We're northern Minnesota people. We see it. And the guy says, I got to be honest with you. He said, one time a bird fell into this thing. And he said, the, lion, the tigers came and ripped it to shreds. And he said, we had calls from children everywhere, from parents. How dare you let that happen? That's not how nature is. And I thought to myself, that is how nature is. And when I think of this, I think of that lion wanting to destroy us. I think of him wanting to tear our flesh off. And that is the enemy. God, deliver us from him. Give us the strength to overcome what he is doing in our life. Give us the strength to overcome the temptation he tries to put in our path. Give us the strength, make our spirit strong so that we can overcome because he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your relationship with your kids. He wants to destroy your relationship with your church. He doesn't want good things to happen in your church. He doesn't want good things to happen in your life. He wants to see you suffer. And when you understand that, you will pray against and pray for the power of God to overwhelm in your life. Why don't you stand with me right now?
if our prayer ministers could come forward. I just want to remind you, these prayer guides that I gave you, they have the six points that I talked about today. They have a little different wording. Uh, I found these. They also tell you about just ways to pray. Because I wanted to say today, my whole purpose of today is I'm calling the church to prayer. I'm calling the church to fasting. I'm going to give you the tools to do it. I want you to have this stuff that I wish I would have had many years ago in my life. When I would sit there and they'd say, okay, pray for a half hour, and I'd look at my watch after a minute and say, I'm done. Well, I didn't know what to pray. I didn't listen to it, and it says, this is how you should pray. And I want to give you those tools, but understand the fact that when Christ tells us to pray, when God says, come to me in prayer, when the Father says, come to me in prayer, he is saying, it is going to make a difference in your life, it's going to make a difference in the world. It's going to make a difference in the, everybody around you because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It is clear in the Bible that our prayers make a difference. He does things in our life when we pray that don't happen when we don't pray. Why is that? Because he's God. You can ask him someday. He doesn't just provide things, uh, everything that we need. It doesn't just appear like an Amazon box outside. Okay. He says, no, you're going to work. I'm going to provide for you, but you need to pray and depend on me. God, I can't overcome all these sins in my life. He says, I never meant you to. Come and ask me for it. God, may, I, I want my friends to be saved. I want this world to be more reverent to you. Pray about it. God, I, I need to talk to somebody that's smarter than me, that knows heaven and earth, our Father in heaven. It's all there. Come to him in prayer. I just want to encourage everyone to make this year a year of prayer. Make this year that every day you're going to pray. Now, you don't have to start out with praying and saying, well, I'm going to pray for six hours. Okay? Start out with praying and say, I'm going to pray for 15 minutes. I'm going to study the word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to follow the steps right here. I'm just going to pray to God and see what, he, and see what happens in my life. And I will tell you that he is going to be faithful because he told you to pray and when he tells you to pray, he also says, I'm going to do something when you pray. And I just want to encourage everyone to be here tonight, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. In our week of prayer, we've had some powerful prayer times here. We want to pray for needs. We want to pray for the needs of the church. If you've got needs that you want us to pray for tonight, take out one of those cards. If they say you can't be here tonight, make sure you get those prayer requests in because we want to lift up all the prayer needs of this church. All the prayer needs of people that you know, we want to lift them up tonight and for this week. And we want you to be here with us praying because the prayer, God says he wants to do great things through our prayers. Lord, we thank you today for teaching us to pray and emphasizing the importance of our prayers. And I just pray, God, that you will work through us today. That you will, Lord, as we pray, that your kingdom will come and your will will be done, God. You will provide for our needs. And God, you will, you will keep us from the evil one and you'll put us on the right path. And God, you'll, you'll, you'll forgive us as we forgive others. God, all these things we need in our lives. Lord, teach us to pray and keep us on the path of prayer. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to come forward and pray with one of our prayer ministers, you may, otherwise you are dismissed.